Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller, and this is episode 43. Wow. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for joining us. If you've been here a while, well, then I think you know our drill and you know how much I appreciate you listening. Go to my website for all of the show notes, elizabethrfuller.com. And while you're there, check out my amazing photography. It's what I do for a living. I want to work with you, so hit me up because I'm here to help, and I like to help. If you have questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any kind, send me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. All right, let's do this. Let's go on a food adventure, you guys. So full disclosure, I am really dragging my tush this morning because last night, so usually I record the podcast intros um, week of, I like to, because then I think it like keeps it fresh and relevant and um, on Mondays. And so that just didn't happen yesterday or on this past Monday and, and Monday night was uh, game three of the Red Sox and Todd and I, my husband, went to the game. I got him tickets for his birthday that happened this last this past weekend. And, um, you know, you, some of you may know this about me. Some of you may not. I am a creature of habit when it comes to going to bed. I love to go to bed 830 no later than nine o'clock most nights. I just like my wind down routine. I like my sleepy time tea. I like to be asleep before 10. And then I'm up at, you know, 536. And I'm super productive all day. And then when I crash, I crash. Like it's just who I am. It's my been my routine for a long time. And even through the pandemic, through everything, it's just what I've done. But in my uh, late teens, in my 20s, and even, yeah, I think the majority of my 20s, uh, yeah, the majority of my 20s, I um, bartended, which, as you guys all know, late night hours, right? Like, how I did that, I don't know. And I, I, you know, did restaurant bars for a while, and then I graduated into nightclubs, um, did Justin Timberlake's 21st birthday on Sunset when I lived in LA at a bar called Dublin's. Worked there for a long time. And then I worked um, at many bars in San Diego, Scolari's office and a handful of others. And then in Boston, TT the Bears, um, Tavern on the Water, just to name a few. And a lot of these bars, you stay up until like two, three in the morning because that's just what you did. I don't know how I did it. I, I didn't necessarily always enjoy it. It was not who I am. Even on the nights I didn't work, I would still go to bed obscenely early. It's just, yeah, I like going to bed early. So anyway, my point is <laughs> that on Monday night, 
which was as I'm recording this right now, right now, physically right now, here and now into this microphone, it is Tuesday morning. So Monday, even though you're listening to this in the future on Friday, I know freaking wacky time travel. So the Red Sox played at eight o'clock. It was like 40 degrees outside. (laughs) And I stayed up until almost one in the morning and I am wiped. I am so wiped. I got a handful of hours of sleep last night and now I am like really trying to get at today um, and be hyper productive. (laughs) I'm recording the podcast. So let's get after it. I think we should really dive into this. Okay, let's do this. Okay, all right, let's do this. Let's go. That's what we were saying all last night. Let's go, or not last, you know what I mean, at the game on Monday. So, my guest today, he has been in the culinary industry professionally, not just like, hey, I'm dabbling in this, dipping my toe in, mm-mm, no ma'am, no sir, no them, mm-mm, nope. Professionally for the last 20 years. Yeah, I know. He is an incredible chef. I have worked with him. I have married him. He makes me laugh. I love him very much. He currently is the executive chef at a very prestigious college right outside of Boston. Please. Please welcome to the podcast, my husband, Todd Fuller. Hi, Hede. Oh, hi. (laughs) (laughs) The most requested podcast episode of the year. Mm -hmm. It's happening. And if everyone could see Todd's background right now, he is in space. Yep. In space. Thanks for having me, though. You know, um. Sorry if I'm a little late. It was tough to find the place. You know what I mean? You're in the basement. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And the only reason we're recording not next to each other (laughs) is so I can edit things out if we need to. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. Okay, great. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. All right. That's it. That's it for that. Let's go. Okay. So do you want to tell people like your background, where you grew up? Oh, Yeah. Um, so a little small town north of Boston <laughs> called uh-huh. Ames, Amesbury. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Grew up, you know, North Shore, as they say. Uh-huh. Um, do you have a, is, do, it, what's special about Amesbury and the Fuller family? Oh, we have, uh, or we had a, uh, family business that ran four generations right in downtown mm-hmm. um do you have a building that men's, men's clothing name on store it? yeah actually it's called the fuller building mm-hmm. um that my great great grandfather started back in the i guess just before the 1900s yeah so, that would be the 1800s yeah 18 well late 1800s yeah 18 something you know. yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah so men's clothing store and formal wear store what we like to call it um yeah. Yeah, I spent a lot of my after school days there, just um, 
running yeah, around. You did, and you still have clothing from there. So uh, yes, yeah, so. um, <laughs> and oddly enough, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah lasts a lifetime, many generations. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And oddly enough, um, even though you spent so much time there, and four generations of Fuller men had yeah. this, yeah, you decided, no, no, not for me. No. No. No, me. I did. I went to school for marketing, actually, and. Seton Hall and UMass and then uh, decided to go a different route. I like mm-hmm. to cook in my spare time is what happened. And, you know, traveling with my family all the time, too. We've been to all 50 states, camped in 48 of them. So we did a lot of our own meal cooking, you know, five people in the family traveling cross country and a pop up camper. Um, something that you really enjoy. Honey. Oh, please. <laughs> what? Camping, I would right? Rather, you love camping. All I right. Would rather, it's like not. I would rather eat a battery. No, on it's not a tea, on the tea in August than go oh. camping. I there okay. is. I, I as my mother has said, our Oof. people don't camp. We don't well, camp. We're not campers. I'm not a yep. camper. I never need to be a camper. And I I really do encourage you to go camping with anyone. <laughs> yeah. Who wants no, so to that's, I mean, that's you. where my love of food started actually is, you know, camping and I was in scouts and we did a lot of outdoor cooking and the whole thing. And that's, that's what was, what was fun to me is finding it, finding different ways to, um, use fire <laughs> to cook, I guess. Right? I know you love, you love fire. <laughs> so where did you go to culinary school? Um, so after college, I actually, I was a substitute teacher for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that didn't. I, I mean, it was fine, but it was just, you know, babysitting for an older generation, a younger generation yeah. than me. Right. Um, and let's hope. Yeah. And I mean, they were calling me at 545 in the morning to go in and substitute teach. And that wasn't working out for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I turned out not to be a morning person. So, uh, right, honey? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Uh-huh. The king um, of the snooze. The king right. Of the snooze. And then, so at that point, I decided I need to move out of the house. So I was 20, <laughs> 22 years old and I uh, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just started taking job interviews and I landed on one in Boston. It was actually for um, a travel agency, a student travel agency. And so I was taking the commuter rail from Newburyport into Boston for a whole year trying to figure out what I wanted to do and it was just weird one of my supervisors actually said hey I got a room in my apartment you want to move there and it was in Everett I lived there for 10 years and um, after about two years of three years I guess of um, travel agency 9-11 happened and uh, we all moved on decided to do or I decided to do something else and my, all my roommates were telling me I should go to culinary school because I was cooking dinners for them. And, you know, every Sunday for football, we were making food. And uh, so I ended up going to Cambridge School of Culinary Arts right on Mass Ave in Cambridge and um, just dove right into that. So I was going to culinary school full time, working at a restaurant full time and um, just kept going from there. It was it's It's been a pretty awesome experience from my point of view from 2001 so yeah so you've been uh in the culinary field now for 20 years uh yes and before that I mean in college too I worked at you know places on the beach and things like that so it was um 
Yeah. But professionally, you've been doing professionally this professionally for- 20 years. Yeah. 20 from years. School, so now, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how you did that knowing that you're only what? 32 is that how old we are today uh yeah so, so today todd is celebrating a birthday yeah 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 it sure feels like 32 i think it's 37 this year though so yeah no it's 45 uh, and what did well, you tell me in the car yesterday what did you what did you say yesterday in the well, car that I don't remember. tom brady is oh. the same age as you well he's 44 but yeah um uh-huh. we, we could both be playing football or professional sports but you know, because go ahead no right. keep going because because i don't know what you're talking about because you and him share very similar diets that you don't oh, yes, eat right. nightshades yes and yes. you eat avocado toast apparently avocado which i've never toast, seen I, you yeah eat. we don't we right. don't yeah, we stay no. away from mm-hmm. the nightshades tomatoes yeah. and right plants. and so you said that you and tom brady have the same body basically 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 yeah. the same body yeah we have this we we, we eat the same foods um, you know, we both have very, very, um, attractive and, and beautiful wives might as well be models, both of them. Um, you know, new England guys, I mean, he's from the West coast, but let's face it. He was here. He's been here. He was here for 20 years, 22 years. So yeah. might as well yeah. call him that. I mean, right, sure. you know, mm-hmm. he's yeah. out to get bill right now. So mm-hmm. whatever. So let's move on from Tom. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on from Tom. So with 20 years in the industry, a lot of people, and you are an executive chef. A lot of people assume from TV movies, cooking shows, what air quotes an executive chef does. Yeah. And you do so much more than just plan some yeah, menus yeah. and expedite food and boss people around. Yeah. What would some of the most unexpected things that people don't realize that you're in charge of, or that you have to deal with? Well, it's funny. It's more, it's, I, I think the more fun question would be what people think executive chefs do, because let's face it, you go into a restaurant, you sit down and you're thinking that there's one guy back there, the executive chef, he's pushing out all these meals. He's pushing out all this food, um, you know, training staff doing all that. It's, it's the executive chef has his hands in everything, culinary, everything. I mean, it's, and it goes all the into a restaurant, into anywhere, but um uh, the most important thing is is obviously training and, and making sure that your staff has what you need. And uh, oh I yeah, mean, but then you like I sit on the couch next to you at night and your phone is binging and dinging because people are already calling out for the next day. Yeah. And like you deal with that kind of stuff. You deal with not I don't want to call it babysitting, but you deal with like the human resources in the trenches with them on a daily basis. Yeah, it's funny because over the past few years, too, I've come to notice, especially with some of the executive chefs that I've worked with, is that they, I mean, let's face it, you're you're working with these people 10, 12, 14 hours a day, and they become a lot more than friends and family to you. Um, you know, I had a couple of chefs that, you know, I could confide in 100% about what's going on outside of work. So you actually become almost like a, a therapist or, a, or um, that other, that, that person that you need to talk to yeah but you know you can't talk to your f- friends and family about and um, well yeah because you're talking about them right well, <laughs> well it, becomes, it becomes very important because you you, you learn well, yeah. a lot about your staff you learn a lot about your staff and you can't just put people in um to certain positions you need to know how they're feeling for the day and how they're acting and let's face it i mean not everybody wants to go to work and that's where you got to step up and you become the problem solver you, you become the the troubleshooter um, yeah. 
And, and that happened to me the other day, actually walking around uh, and looking at all the different locations that I have to, that I have to manage now. And, and one of the guys actually, actually sat down. We had a, we had a five, 10 minute conversation about what he does, what, what he does outside of work. And, and then he said to me, you know, I don't want to keep you. I know you have lots to do. You're the troubleshooter here. Yeah. Uh, and, and it kind of made me feel good, you know, because you walk around and you see these people and they come right to you and they're like, I know he's going to be able to solve this problem for me. And, you know, so it's not all food. It's not all menus. It's not all mm -hmm. ordering. But a lot of people don't understand that that to put together a menu, too, it isn't just, oh, I'm just going to write down a bunch of ideas and hand it off. And here it goes. It's, you know, menus, depending on uh, seasonality and, and uh, product availability, it, it really dictates to what what you want to do so a lot of research goes into it and believe it or not when you walk into a restaurant and they say hey we have a new menu or a new seasonal menu why don't you check it out that menu is probably being researched six months ago oh uh, yeah it, but it also so depends it on the budget the like if your budget is big too your mm -hmm. establishment can't afford to use like companies like Sid Wainer that you know are getting better produce than I mean no offense to other companies but the, it's huge like if yeah. you can't afford seasonal produce for whatever reason or whatever it is it's it it's huge why don't you tell people where you work now uh so now i'm the executive chef at wellesley college in wellesley mass mm -hmm. uh there's we operate uh four culinary centers and three retail locations and you know i have four chefs underneath me and 97 cooks and um you know it's 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 a great experience. There's, there's a lot going on. There's never, never a dull moment. And, you know, there's always problems everywhere. And, you know, I like to tell it, tell everyone this BS at every, every place that you work, it's just different BS and how you react to it. That's all. Yeah. I think this is probably one of the better jobs though. That oh. you have. Oh, yeah. yeah, I agree. Okay. Do you want to do lightning round? Not that your other jobs are bad. I don't want to knock them, no, but of um, this was, this is a, we're, we're all the royal we are all happy right now. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, right. Good. Yeah. Okay. So great. what's the lightning round? The listener question lightning round. Do you want to uh, do a listener question lightning round? Okay, hold on. I need to get some stuff to get. Do I have to take notes? No, I'm taking notes. Oh, okay. Thanks. Because where are the notes, honey? Where are the notes? Go ahead. <laughs> the where, show notes? Yeah, where are the show notes? Let's go on a foodadventure.com. No. Uh, uh elizabeth r fuller.com yeah that, that's and where the then show does see portfolios and all yep. kinds of stuff too okay you ready let's work together all right let's go okay what is the best way to sear tuna the best way to sear tuna yep uh well when you get you want to make sure that first of all everything that you that you're that you're cooking has to be seasoned right so you want to make sure it's nice and seasoned but when you purchase the tuna so this comes, I need more information here because is it a loin? Is it a slice? I guess it's a loin. Pretend. So say it's like, let's pretend. And when you say season for people who don't know what that means, it's salt and pepper. Salt and pepper, right. Yeah. Yes. But now, yes. now going forward, we can say season, right. but okay. some season. people don't know chef lingo. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. 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 So right. let's say, let's say it's a tuna loin. Yep. And they're trying to recreate a dish that they had in a restaurant and they want like seared ahi at home like rare in the middle, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so you want to get a hot pan. So it's a metal pan, a, an aluminum pan, an on stick pan, any kind of pan you have, but you want it hot. And 
you heat it up and then you add your oil to that. So then the oil comes up to uh, just below smoking. And that's when you want to put your, before you put any kind of fish, especially meats too sometimes, but especially fish, you want to tap them with a paper towel, take out a lot of the water because what's going to happen is that water is going to splatter all over you and, and make a mess. And then you have fires and then, you know, yeah, 911. Yeah, all that. So, screaming hot pan below the smoke point. So, if what oil would you add? I, I always do, whenever I see a fish, I always use vegetable oil or a combination of uh, olive oil and vegetable oil blend. Yeah. Um, and it helps to make a, a better sear. So, when you now you have your oil in the pan, you, you lift it up a little bit, swirl it back and forth so that you see it's not sticking, it's, it's actually fluid. And then you wanna add your fish, your presentation side. So the side that you want to show on your dish, you wanna put that side down first because that guarantees that your pan is still clean. It's still, um, it, it's gonna cook more evenly. So then when you put your filet down or your, or your loin down, when I do it, I like to watch from the side. And as soon as you see that that dark red or light pink color start to turn white or gray, you only want maybe, I don't know, a quarter of an inch, less than a quarter of an inch of a frame, right? So mm -hmm. you put that down, you let that come to your quarter of an inch, you flip it to the next side, quarter of an inch, flip it to the next side quarter of an inch and then that way it's got a perfect sear all the way around the outside now the key too to a to a good sear is you want like i said the, the pan has to be hot because when you present this stuff you want that first sear to be nice and golden brown or caramelized or whatever so that when you flip the next ones it continues with that because now you have a small protein in the pan that's actually going to help to change the color of that mm -hmm. then when you take it out of the pan you let it rest and when you let things rest, the proteins in the meats go back to their- um, The juices. Right, and the juices. But the, but the protein itself, as soon as you put something in a pan, it shrinks up, right? Mm -hmm. So when you let something rest, those juices that are help to, helping to constrict the outside actually redistribute and it becomes more evenly cooked that way. Mm -hmm. Obviously, okay. if you want the tuna more well, you leave it you know, no. in the pan for a little bit more on each side, but- no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. But you shouldn't do that. No, you're ruining the tuna. Yeah, yeah, get albacore for that if you're going to do that. Go for canned fish. Canned okay, fish. top five kitchen gadgets. Go. Uh, wow. Okay, uh, you need a wicked good paring knife. A paring knife or a utility knife. So a paring knife is about three and a half inches. A utility knife runs up to about five inches. But either way, you want you want a decent small knife for um, pretty much anything. Those things are good for anything. Peeling potatoes, peeling, peeling vegetables, cutting vegetables, smaller things. Obviously a good, a good um, chef knife, but I'm not gonna go too far into knives right now because those aren't really gadgets. So you need a good vegetable peeler. The vegetable peeler I like is, is the one that's more in like a Y shape. Um, and what's funny is that the little plastic ones that you can always buy anywhere in the little Y shape are always the best. They are, better, I know. They're better than the metal ones. Yeah. They're better than, and the, and the, and it's, what is that word? Ergonomically easier to hold? Yeah, sure. Or whatever, you know what I'm talking about. I do. Come on peeps. Do. Uh... <laughs> okay, keep going. What, what else do I like though? Uh, I have, 
microplane. Uh, yeah, of course, the microplane. That's an awesome one. Uh, it's just a, it's a, if you can imagine a cheese grater, it's long and drawn out and has a handle on the end. Good for zesting, good for Everything. Uh, even, even shredding, shredding vegetables too. Anything. To yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's two more. You can do it. Two more, honey. Two more. I don't, but kitchen gadgets. Gadgets. Give me a give me a hint. I these are your ideas, not mine. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no, okay. oh, oh, so it's not like, attached. No. It's not, oh, I see. I see. I see. I see. Okay. <laughs> gadgets in the kitchen that you like to use. Mm -hmm. Can you hit pause? <laughs> Yeah, just I'll I'll edit it out. <laughs> okay, that's all the gadgets you can think of. You don't need five. All right, what are three ingredients in the kitchen you can't live without? Uh, garlic. Uh huh. Garlic, hot sauce. You need a good hot sauce in the kitchen. Okay. Some you need some kind of green herb, and by green herb, I don't just mean, um you know, parsley or cilantro. I mean, those are great for garnishing and things like that too. But I, I like to have lots of fresh herbs. Fresh herbs are great for, um, you know, when I said season your fish, I, I mean, I always uh, season my meats with romer, rosemary, thyme and sage. Uh, those, are, those are great things to have. I always like to have um, some kind of pasta why are you making a face? I'm not. I'm just, I, I'm very surprised. I, that these are the things that you have selected. I, I'm why? just surprised. They're, they're, they're so, they're such great ingredients. They are. They are. I'm just surprised. No I'm not tomatoes, judging. No, no tomatoes judging. Or eggplants. No tomatoes or eggplants. Though. Yeah, no. All right. Oh. What is your favorite slash signature dish to make? Oh, my, my favorite thing to make ever are uh, seared diver sea scallops mm -hmm. uh and i always like to do it with with spicy broccoli rub or um sauteed spinach or arugula something like that and then some kind of puree the puree I, um especially this time of year it would be awesome with with parsnip puree or um even like a sweet potato puree would be delicious too i, I really like the the sweetness of the scallops and then when you add something spicy like the broccoli rabe or or uh, spicy kale or something like that, it, it helps to enhance those flavors. Those are my favorite thing. I mean, I'm from New England. You know, cooking fish has really been one of my favorite things uh, to do for a long Ever. time. Yeah. Yeah. Forever. Okay. Speaking of fish, lobster rolls, hot or cold? Yeah. Oh, cold. Cold okay. lobster rolls. Yeah. Okay, good. Best thing to order at Taco Bell. This is from Mike Doyle. I, I, I have to, I have to say who that one's from. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, for me, I mean, for those of you who don't know, but they all do already from listening to this and whatever, but uh, the Volcano Burrito from Taco Bell. Which they is have, no they, longer even hey, a thing. No, they had it, a, what, five, eight years ago or whatever. It was so good. It was just cheese and meat and you know what else it had in it? It had um, Fritos in it. And, um, but the best part about it, they had lava sauce. So it was like cayenne pepper cheese sauce that was in this thing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Every day, if I could, I would get one of those. 
Yeah, they knew you by name at the uh, Taco Bell in Bayonne, New Jersey. Bayonne, New Jersey. Yeah, they were my friends. I remember I drove through one time and the the lady, I saw someone talking to the lady in the drive-thru. She's like, oh, you know him? And she goes, yeah, he's one of my regulars. And I was like, uh, okay, not going here anymore. Oh, you still went. No, I didn't. (laughs) Okay. No, I didn't. I had to go into a different town. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Can you fix salty food? Yes. Yeah. So, (laughs) all right. So, obviously, all right, let's start easy. So, if your soup, let's say, is oversalted, right? So, add more broth. Try to level it out. If my, uh, this happened to me actually about a year ago, two years ago, I guess I was making a chili and it was so hot. It was, it was so spicy, so spicy, like sweating spicy that I knew the people I was making it for it. It wasn't going to, it was going to be way too hot. So what I did was I peeled two potatoes and threw the potatoes whole in the chili. Right. And just let it simmer raw. for yeah raw for like an hour or so yeah it'll absorb and it it. it actually drew out all of the the, the spicy yeah stuff same so, thing with salt too right it'll, so it'll works soak exactly in the salt. With, with yeah. salt too sure so a good one is that if you're making like clam chowder save your potatoes for last because what you can do you make your clam chowder taste the seasoning throw in the potatoes at the end and it actually helps to mellow it out for you. Yeah, but don't add your cream until after the potatoes are cooked. Of course, of course. Because that'll make it yucky. I can answer this question for you, but favorite way to cook eggplant? Putting it in the trash. (laughs) No, (laughs) actually, that's funny because I would say my wife makes this eggplant really good because we grew this stuff in the backyard, the Uh the Japanese eggplants. These are I couldn't believe it. I, I'm not an eggplant person. You hate and it. I know that when, whenever we make pizza, you like to fry yours, sear it in the pan first before yeah. you put it in the pizza. Um, but, but yeah, that, that Japanese eggplant, we cut it into, I don't know, inch wide. I bump. did roll cuts mm-hmm, on roll cuts. Okay. Uh, I roll, I did and, a roll cut. Yeah. And then seared them in a pan. You use a little flour or cornstarch. No, I soaked them in salted water first for half yeah. an hour. And then right. I that drained them. Out, so it's very important when you're cooking eggplant, that helps to take out the bitterness at the yeah. beginning. They're soaking them in salt water or just lightly salting them yeah. before you cook them. And then I dried them off really, I rinsed them, dried them off really good. And then I coated them in cornstarch. Yeah. And then and I then pan fried them. Fried them. And yeah. it was so good. Nice it was and so good. The outside, the middle was so creamy. Super creamy. No uh, yeah, yuckiness. But, and, and then you know, obviously eggplant parm. I mean, I would like to, I like fried eggplant. You could fry it and put it in sauce and dump it with a bunch of cheese. I'll eat it that way. But really eggplant, like I said, I I did. I talked to Tom last week and asked him about this. And we got into this long, funny conversation about how we don't eat eggplant and the whole thing. And he was like, oh yeah, happy birthday, by the way. So Tom, right. you're talking about Tom Brady again. Oh yeah, Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. We're circling back to Tom again, even though we weren't going to talk about Tom anymore. Right. I know. Uh, okay. Can you fix, can you fix gummy mashed potatoes? <sighs> well, those are going in the trash. No, I mean, I, you, I, I don't think you can not to be mashed potatoes. So my suggestion would be if you've already put in all this work and you have gummy mashed potatoes, maybe turn them into something like an arancini or put them, um, what you can do is if you, if you put them on top of like shepherd's pie and sprinkle it with 
hard cheese, not the soft kind that's going to be melting, melty and gooey, but hard cheese like uh, Parmesan or something like that that helps to make a crust. That may be better, but you really shouldn't be using an electric mixer or no. a Roboku or whatever no. to, be, to be making your mashed potatoes. It's either a food mill. I love to use a food mill because mm -hmm. it, it rices it so, so fine. And then there are no lumps, no nothing. But yeah, anything more than a ricer or a hand masher, you, they won't be as gummy. Mm, and never, ever, ever put them in a blender. Like if you've got to oh, make no. some kind of soup and they have potatoes in the soup and you're trying to thicken the soup, take yeah. out the potatoes before you waz it because yeah. that's why that, um, that, you know, potato leek soup really makes everybody go crazy because if you do it too much it's going to be like yeah like kindergarten paste um okay and i this is i'm going to i have to rein it in with you on this on this quick lightning round question because you will talk way too long about this okay what knives must every home chef have let's limit it to three knives three knives you need a chef knife so chef knife is either eight inches or 10 inches. I think they make a 12 inch one too, but to choose one, you really got to see which feels better in your hand. You really mm -hmm. need to have a good, a good knife. Are we talking brands um, or no? Okay. We can if you want no. to, but. All right, so a good chef knife, and I did mention a good utility knife too. Mm -hmm. uh, another knife, and I know you, honey, you like to use is the the one, the Soku or whatever. Oh yeah, I love that, that knife. Have. Oh, it's the, my favorite. Yeah, it has the little pockets on the side. Mm -hmm. So nothing sticks to it. It's my all-purpose knife. That's a great all-purpose knife. Yeah, so that's three. But you always want to make sure you have some kind of boning knife too. Um, <laughs> and that's great for any kind of meat that you have or fish or... So those are the top four. Those right, four. and then like you might as well just get a slicer while you're there too. Well, you? yeah, and then a slicer would be good for after you cook the meat. That uh -huh. that's great. And okay, all right, that's what I mean. Knife. No, right, but I am yeah, or tomato, nice little serrated tomato. That's knife. a good one. That's, that's, just your, that's your second. I love. Favorite. That's my second favorite. That's a good knife. one. Yeah. Do you whistle while you work, honey? Yes or no? No, no. And why no? Why no. tell everybody why there's no whistling in kitchens? Yeah, this is this is. So it's a legend, I guess, or yeah. a folktale or folklore or whatever you want to call it. But uh, so I was actually taught this in, in school. This was brought up and it's a real thing. So if you want to Google it and fact check, fact this, check them. Uh -huh. um, so I can't give you actual times or dates or whatever, but we'll call it the olden days. Okay. Um, <laughs> French, French cooking coming along. Right. So all of these all of these um, international people in, in and around Europe were all traveling, looking for jobs and the whole thing. And so what happened was, is that a whole bunch of these uh, people from different cultures and backgrounds are all working in the same kitchen. Well, they don't all, all really know the same language, right? So what they would do is that they'd start whistling back and forth and, and the whole thing. And as legend has it, the, it really meant that these people we're trying to communicate with each other because if you whistle in the kitchen, that means you want to kill the chef. Oh. So that means your workers are not happy. So if you hear mm. people whistling, you better tell them to stop whistling because you know they have all these knives, the ones we yeah. just talked about. Yeah. And that's 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 the big thing. But really, that's a funny story. I I 
had never heard anything like that before. So now, you know, nowadays people like to listen to music or whatever, and they start whistling and I have to go up to them right away and explain the story. And they, of course they start laughing and the whole thing, but it's real. Yeah. No whistling in the kitchen. Who gets to pick the music in the kitchen? Well, we have to switch that up every now and again. And is it first person in? Normally it is, but then the next person comes in and says, well, you've been here for so long. So why we can change it to now. And yeah, my first, my first kitchen job, it was listen to whatever you want, but at five, five o'clock service starts, music goes off. So yeah, uh, that's how it is in a lot of places. Prep time is okay for music, but not service time. Oh yeah. No, uh, no, but I think it's a, it does matter. Um, Okay. Now we're going to dive into more listener questions. These are a little more in length. That was lightning round. Okay. (laughs) Those were supposed to be like yes or no quick ones. So this, oh, oh, he's kicked back. He's, I can see Italy from where you are. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Kristen in New Hampshire writes, I need pan sauce advice. What are some tips for making them? I also think though, we need to go over what a pan sauce is. Yeah. So uh when i think of a pan sauce it isn't let's take a pan out and make a sauce in it no it's it's what you've already seared off in the pan or what you're what you are cooking in a pan and then you're making something to complement that dish so uh the very classic way to make a pan sauce is let's say you're searing a piece of meat and you do the same thing that we talked about with the fish you want to sear both sides really hard uh, so that that gives you a good caramelization or a good crust, right? Uh, and then I would remove the protein from the pan. And then you look down and you have, and my my culinary instructors used to always say, you have all these tasty bits, yeah. right? So there's tasty bits and stuck to the bottom of the pan. Well, then that's where that's where your pan sauce starts. Uh, you want to dump out the, the extra fat that's in there, the extra oil. And make sure that your pan is hot again. And this is where deglazing comes in. So you either use your wine or your stock or even water just to get those bits up and you'll see that liquid's gonna change color. And that's because it's picking up all the flavors from the pan. So to do it classically, you take the meat out, you deglaze with red wine, not a whole lot. You just want enough to cover the bottom of the pan. Then you wanna take your spatula and scrape up those, those tasty bits mix it around and let the wine reduce down a little bit you want to take that alcohol flavor out of the wine that that you taste right on the tip of your tongue and then you want to add a little bit of stock so you add your stock to it and now now you're starting to get get it get a sauce and then that's when you can add anything else that you had that you wanted to add to it any i don't know fruit or or herbs or herbs or yeah things like that yeah and then uh and then you want to thicken it so uh, for a pan sauce i would i would use a very very little amount of uh flour or cornstarch um the best person i ever saw make pan sauce was my nana she every every thanksgiving she'd get up at five in the morning make that turkey and then take the turkey out of the oven and she'd have all the drippings right in the pan she put it right on the stovetop the the roasting pan and she would just stir and stir and stir and stir and stir and add her mushrooms to it and then flour and water a little bit at a time and stir and stir and stir and she had a quart of gravy and essentially it's a turkey pan sauce so right same uh, same yeah. pitch 
Okay, we'll put some some stuff in the show notes. Okay. Uh, Lena from Portland, Maine writes, I love cooking fish, but honestly it keeps falling apart when I flip. How can I prevent this from happening or am I doomed? Mm. So Lena, that tells me that you are leaving the fish on one side for too long. Mm. So what you want to do, like I said at the beginning, is you sear the fish on the presentation side first at a higher temperature. Then if you're gonna continue it cooking in the pan, you wanna flip it and turn the temperature down a little bit and slightly cover cover the fish. So the steam helps to cook it all the way through. But to me, if you're, if you're, if when you flip it, it's falling apart, that means you're leaving it for too long on that one side. Then I would probably dare say, try something that's not cod or- Yeah, cod's a tough know. fish. Here, it's, it's a, unless yeah. it's cut the right way. I yeah, mean, I mean, like sword would be a good would one. Would be a great one. Halibut. Yep. Halibut's a good one. Monkfish won't fall apart if you can see it good. Yeah, um, yeah. Monkfish salmon. is tricky to work with, but yeah. I Salmon's agree. a really good one. It's got a higher protein. So when you sear it on the first, the front side, it. I know. I oven roast, slow roast salmon now. I Well, don't, that's what you do. That's what I do. I, I don't pan sear salmon. I'm answering this question from the, the listener. <laughs> I'm answering it too. <laughs> we'll put some stuff in the show notes no, for no, you, yeah, Lena. Take the show show notes. I'm, I'm taking notes that I'll pass on that we can put in the show notes. Okay, great. Marcus from Instagram writes, I'm hosting Thanksgiving this year and it's the most people I've ever cooked for. It's 12 people. I don't want a ton of leftovers, but I also don't want to not have enough food. How do I know how much to make of everything? Good question. Oh, so that's something that I deal with every day at at my place is that we have to figure out exactly how much food to order and to produce. But for me, as an executive chef, as a chef, I, I'm always thinking the numbers. So I'm always thinking, okay, well, if someone's having a, a protein, I have to figure four to six ounces. If it's a vegetable, it's three to five ounces. If it's a starch, it's four ounces. So I would say that's the best way to start is that if you're doing green beans, sweet potatoes and mashed potatoes is, you know, you got to figure three to four ounces per person per side. So 12 people, 36 ounces of mashed potatoes is what, two and a half pounds. You got me. And so that's what I'd start with, with that same thing with the turkey is that yeah, 14 pound turkey. Ooh, this is great. Or 28 pound turkey. It's great. Half of it's bone anyway. So oh, yeah. Remember we ran out of turkey that one Thanksgiving at mm-hmm. your aunt's house. Yep. Very sad well, for anyone who came late. Well, hey, it's what happens. You lose. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I would start with with portioning sizes first to figure out exactly how much I'm going to feed these people. But you know, also too just give them to the people give the leftovers to the people you know that doesn't mean you have all the leftovers i guess that's a good suggestion yeah i agree i think that when as a from another home cooks you know standpoint that you look at these recipes and they say serves four to eight people or serves two to four people it's not like you're really breaking it down into ounces and sure portioning it that way so you know, if you can get, if you're into getting super mathy with everything, I think that what also you're saying too, is a good way to go. Making, but if, they, if they're making stuff that aren't 
a recipe, so right. to speak, right? Yeah, that's the way that's the way yeah. to do it. But I agree with you is that if you're doing stuff on recipes, it's going to tell you right at the bottom, this serves this many people. But, you, the, but you also have to take into consideration it serves that many people, but how many other sides then are those people having too? So right. you might be able to cut back a little bit on certain things like cranberry yep. sauce and stuff like that. But anyway, um, we'll put some notes in the show notes for everybody. <laughs> Good luck. You'll do great. And who cares? Just buy a ton of Tupperware and send it home with people. Um, Audrey from Boston Foodie Tours asks, what would pair well with apple balsamic vinegar? We're looking for ideas to share with our guests. Oh, okay. So apple balsamic. Uh, so that's going to be probably not, it's not as sweet. It's just straight balsamic. And from what it sounds like, it's more of a finishing thing. Um, so this time of year, especially apples in season, uh, like I was talking about the rosemary and thyme. I mean, that would be great for a pork loin roast. You season the, the roast, put your herbs on it, cook it slice it and then drizzle this right on the top maybe garnish it with some roasted apples or baby brussels sprouts or um butternut squash i mean that sounds fantastic um apple balsamic pork loin yikes that's let's do that yeah i mean Same i think thing. stuffed sweet acorns mash. yeah yeah sweet sweet potato mash stuffed acorn squash finish yep. on that i agree mm -hmm. with you it's a finishing thing if people wanted to get really creative um I mean, you, you could, could do, do an apple pie dressing. and yeah, or salad dressing. You do apple pie with like a really sweet ice cream and put a drizzle oh, yeah. on top of the ice cream. That might be kind of interesting, you know, yep. a nice, a nice uh, dried fruit salad with, you know, uh, spinach or I, yeah. I keep saying arugula. I love the arugula. I know you do. But like uh, dried, dried cranberries or walnuts or something like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe add a little bit of um, white balsamic to it. I mean, white um uh, white balsamic vinegar to the balsamic apple and uh -huh. drizzle on there. That would be delicious too. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that sounds like a good salad. It does sound like a good salad. Paul from Instagram writes, if I want to impress guests that I'm having over for dinner, but I don't have super advanced culinary skills, what would be a good dish that would knock their socks off? Oh, okay. So that to me diver sea skull yeah right <laughs> no, go ahead um no and going back to this last question i mean a pork loin in, in the oven with a nice drizzle of this balsamic would be fantastic or you know um we've done it a couple of times shepherd's pie or something like that where it doesn't take a whole lot of culinary expertise you're just you're just making um yeah, I mean, so, I think the braised uh, beef shanks, the red wine beef shanks beef were really good. good. That's really easy. Just sear the meat both sides. Yeah. Throw veg, throw in your stock, put it in the oven and let it cook. Yeah, tons of flavor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the roasted pork loin is nice. I think what you're saying, though, is that if you were able to finish things and garnish them properly and like if you're going to make a pork loin roast and you're going to finish it with the apple balsamic and then also maybe do like some roasted apples or whatever on right. top that adding little culinary touches like that really do enhance a dish versus like here's some roasted chicken like how this right. you would that's how you would elevate something yes <laughs> whitney connecticut writes uh -oh. <laughs> full disclosure this is todd's okay. cousin how do you get Brussels sprouts crispy like they are in a restaurant? I can never get them crispy at home. 
maybe quickly fry them? I don't know. No, so the key to crispy anything, you gotta make, especially with vegetables and roasting vegetables, is you gotta make sure everything is fully coated in some kind of fat. And that's gonna get the, the color that you're looking for. So if you're doing crispy Brussels sprouts, I would cut them in half, or if they're the big ones, quarter, quarter them. them. Yep, salt, pepper, oil, just a tiny bit of oil to make sure everything is fully coated on a sheet pan, in the oven, 400, 425, mm -hmm. 450, something like that for five to seven minutes. And then you wanna take that out and, and mix it up because then, or shake the pan because all the oil now has come to the bottom of the pan and you don't wanna just burn the side of the Brussels sprouts that's touching the pan. So you want to take it out, move them around, put them back in, keep an eye on them. And then when you take them out of the oven, I've seen this happen way too many times where people, they're looking for a crispy roasted vegetable or a, or something like these Brussels sprouts that we're talking about. And they put them in a dish and put cover and put and cover them. And yeah, then you're what steaming them. Now you're steaming them and all that crispiness goes away. So if you're going to do the Brussels sprouts, you want to do them as close to the, your service time as possible and do not put them in your serving dish. Leave them on that sheet pan until it's ready to serve. Yeah, I agree. One Stay thing nice that I would definitely say is if your oven has a convection setting, I would do 425 convection too, because that will circulate the air a little better and get you a little more heat distribution evenly. And the other right. thing that we cannot stress enough that home chefs and I'm not, and even probably professionals make this mistake too. Don't overcrowd your sheet pans. Use yes. multiple sheet pans if you have to, because overcrowding them is going to do exactly what you just described. Yep. Just you don't, it's just sure going to steam when, them. Exactly. Whenever you're laying vegetables on a sheet pan, you want to be able to see little spots yeah. of where, where that sheet pan is, because if you're covering it up, covering that full thing and packing it up and being like, oh, this will be fine. Nope. You're going to get the top part. It's going to be burnt and the under part's going to be yep. mush. Okay, great. Um, your mother-in-law has a question. <laughs> okay. Michelle in New Hampshire writes, I recently found out I can't eat tomatoes. I miss eating tomato-based things like chili, pizza, and other things that use tomato sauce. What is a good substitute to put in chili and pizza? Mm. Uh, white chicken chili, mom. White, yeah, that's an easy <laughs> one. But, but, Pesto on pizza. They, don't they make like pretend pretend tomato sauce i think they use beets like you can no. use yes where yes. have you seen it's this? a real it's a real thing it's a real thing where they it's a it's a pretend to it's like faux tomato sauce or something like that and is this your actually, okay hold on is this your hey shocks yeah. idea hey, hey shocks it's todd from from boston he has an idea yeah. no it's for real it's it's pureed beets and then they put all the the same seasonings in it and it becomes a um tomato like sauce i mean it's tough you know tomatoes are very acidic or very sweet whatever time of year it is it's it's a tough thing to to duplicate but yeah if you have to stay away from it it's uh yeah white chilies um Pesto on pizza, flatbready kind of pizza. Yeah, there, there really isn't a substitute for a tomato, but I would look into that the beet tomato sauce or or beet sauce, whatever it is. I forget what it's called, but well, it's we know what she's getting there. for Christmas. Well, now no. I'm not telling her. So no, she might not even listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, she listens every week. Yeah. Well, almost every week. Uh, <laughs> Karen in Colorado writes, uh, yeah. who decides what color chef jackets you wear? What credentials does a chef strive for? And is there a hierarchy in the kitchen? Oh, good ones. Okay. Who decides what color chef coat? All right. Well, chef coats are actually, they aren't just stylish, but they actually they they cover some bases. So the reason why they're white actually is because white deflects heat, right? So um, and light. So it actually helps to keep them cooler in the kitchen, chefs. Uh, aprons are actually supposed to cover the chef coats because that's supposed to help keep 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 the flames away. Let's say, right? So now that now you're protected there. Um, checkered pants are there to you know, hide stains and non-slip shoes or so that you, you don't, you know, fall on your butt in the kitchen. And um, so normally, and let, and let's face it too, white means um, pristine and clean, right? So uh, it's the impression that you want to, you want to give to the people that you're cooking for that, look, I'm dealing with your food here and this is how clean I am. A lot of the chef coats now are double breasted too. So that in the event that you do spill something on one side, you, you can take it and switch it to the other side. And also too, the reason why they're white is it for that reason that if you do get something on them, guess what? They can be bleached. So they're supposed to be white to show um, cleanliness. Uh, what's the next one? Hierarchy in the kitchen? Yeah, you can do that one. Then there's one okay. more. <laughs> Yeah, hierarchy in the kitchen. So you have your executive chef, you have your sous chef, which literally means under chef in French. So he's the, the right hand man. And then under the sous chef, you have all, all the other all the other cooks, depending on where you're working or, or what kind of style of food you're doing. There, there could be six other titles under a sous chef or somebody that just makes sauces or somebody that just makes salads or just soups or uh, things like that. And you know, the hierarchy nowadays, I mean, you have the one or two people that really run the kitchen. And from what I've seen in, in my experience is that you always have the one or two guys that really want to step it up and really want to help you out and learn everything they can. So if you get somebody like that, that's, that's your rock star um, line cook. Okay. And then what credentials does the chef strive for? Oh, credentials. Well, I did hear somebody say, uh, that you can't be a perfectionist in a kitchen because nothing will ever be perfect. And so in order credential wise, I mean, you know, you can keep continue to go to schooling and you can continue to um, learn more every day and get those letters after your name or before your name or whatever. But as far as credentials are concerned, chefs just really want to make sure that they put out a a great product for the people that are eating for them because it it shows um, it shows what the chef thinks, what he's thinking right now, what he's what he's feeling. I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I mean, not all chefs want to be execs, and not all executive chefs want to be owners of restaurants. Right. And uh, I think experience in your fields speaks volumes, successful experience speaks more volumes than if somebody went and did a cooking competition, say for 
you know, the American Culinary Institute or whatever it is, right. you know, and gets the, or is on the Olympic cooking team or yep. anything like that. Like those are great, but they're not necessarily the end all be all when it comes to. Nope. And I've worked with people too, that are fantastic chefs that did not have one second of culinary school. It's just based on experience and the amount of hours they put in and the people they work with and the questions they ask. And, um, you know, and I've seen people go that go to culinary school that just don't make it. So, you know, it's all about your drive. It's all about the heart of, of what you want to cook and what you want to show people and what you want to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, Darcy in Colorado asks, Thinking ahead to Thanksgiving, I usually don't eat mashed potatoes because they are so bland. I always have to add a lot of butter, gravy, and salt to make them palatable. Is there a way to make mashed potatoes taste good all by themselves without adding so much fat? Mm. No. Yes. <laughs> Hello. Um, what I would do is that if you're looking for more flavor, use a smaller potato. Like it's a Yukon gold, yes, like a buttery like, Yukon gold. Yes, yes, rice a it. gold. Yep. Um, but to get the flavor, though, you will need to add some salt. I I think to get yeah to 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 elevate it. Let's yeah, say. I agree. So you and don't need to add a whole lot, especially if it's Yukon. And like you said, it is. It's a very buttery potato, or or quote quote unquote new potatoes, right? Um, yeah. Those are, or cr- they call them creamer potatoes. Yeah, too. the creamer potatoes. Yeah, those yeah. are good. And I think adding like, you don't necessarily need to add cream or a lot of butter. You could add like a little tiny bit of butter and maybe some Greek yogurt could add instead some yogurt. because or- that would add a lot of flavor. And then I might even suggest like roasting garlic and adding roasted garlic or adding some yeah, fresh and then herbs put everything through the spicer i mean the ricer yeah that would be awesome because that's gonna add bigger bolder flavors without mm-hmm. adding a ton of fat mm-hmm. right yes wouldn't you say i think that's sounds fantastic yeah. another thing that you could do too when you're cooking when you're cooking your potatoes add something to the water like onions or like you mm. said garlic or things like that then that way the potatoes are actually being seasoned flavored. or yeah. flavored while you're cooking them and then you don't need to add anything else at the end mm-hmm. all right i'm writing all this stuff down for darcy and i'll put it in the show notes okay. buttermilk greek yogurt i feel like i'm writing a grocery list yeah herbs mm-hmm. yum 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 and from Instagram writes, we live a long way from the ocean. So the only fish we can get at the grocery store has been frozen or limited in variety like salmon, cod, tuna, tilapia, Pacific whiting, and sometimes mahi-mahi. Is there one that holds up best to being frozen? And what and what's a good way to cook previously frozen fish so it's not fishy or mushy? Mm. Most yeah, fish well, is previously flash frozen, most, I would most say. Most of it is, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the key is, again, you you don't want it you don't want it out in your fridge two three days before. You want to take it from your freezer the night before. Let it um, slack out. They call it slacking uh, is a twenty four hour um, or an overnight defrost process that does it naturally, right? And then again, when you take the fish out, you want to tap it dry and get it out of all that water because a lot of that is it's just water it's just ice so you want to do that and make sure it's nice and nice and dry before you cook it most white fishes 
tend to get a little bit more mushy. Um, and I'm not a scientist, but I'm guessing that has a lot to do with its makeup and proteins or whatever. But uh, salmon seems to work work the best if it's frozen, uh, pr previously frozen. But um, yeah, any of those other fish should be fine. But the key is not to let it sit in your fridge once it's been fully defrosted because it's just gonna leach out water. And that's when you get into problems with the texture and the consistency of your fish. Yeah, so anyway, you could, if the fish isn't doing what you want it to do, I probably wouldn't sear it and serve it. I would make like fish cakes or a fish burger or mm -hmm. something like or, that with or it. Baked. You could bake it, put a nice buttery Ritz cracker lemony oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. crumb on top of it. Yeah. And then what happens is that if there's any other liquid that drains out, those breadcrumbs are going to soak it right up and that's going to be add more flavor to that fish. Mm. Okay. I like it. Renee from Instagram writes, is it true that if you send your food back because it's cold or cooked wrong, does it really upset the kitchen staff and could something possibly happen to the food? Next question. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that that should not happen. Like I said before, the uh, kitchen staff takes a, a lot, a lot of pride of what they're putting out of that kitchen. And I will tell you right now, 99 times out of 100, they're going to blame the wait staff because they're going to bring it back and say, <clears throat> customer says this is cold and the kitchen's going to say, well, it was hot when it left. Where did it go? This is, you know, whatever. And there'll be a little back and forth. But at the end of the day, if you don't get a new piece of chicken or fish or beef or whatever, nothing's going to happen to your food. It's <laughs> that only happens in movies from what I yeah. see. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I work something at does, clubs and restaurants. Yeah. And yeah. I agree. Yeah. If you have a problem with your food, send it back. Make yeah. sure you're, you're paying for it. You're going to decent restaurants. They're going to fix it for you. Um, and do not, because when you go in there, you're not worrying about it. So if you send it back because you don't like it, you shouldn't worry about it either. Yeah, I agree. Ryan in Massachusetts writes, hmm. I just started to feel comfortable going off book with recipes. Any advice as I start to make some recipes of my own? Yes. Write down every single thing that you do. Everything. Um, I know Beth and I, when we follow recipes or whatever, if we like the recipe from a particular book, we'll write right in the book. doesn't matter if we just spent 65 bucks on a brand new picture. Oh, yeah. book. We're going to write in it. Oh, this yeah. is what we did. This is what we did wrong. This is what we should do next time. Every single time we do that, um, even if it's just getting ideas. So if you're out and you, and you see something, write down as much as you can or record it on your phone or whatever, because you're going to need it when you refer back to it again. That's the best advice I can give you. And if you're trying a recipe out, try it out, see how it came out. You're gonna have to do it again and again yeah. and again before, especially when you're writing your own recipes, because to me, that's the best part is that you write the recipe, you try it out, you go back and do it again, compare the two. This one's way better, I'm gonna fix it this way. But it's very important that you follow in don't try to remember what you did because you're going to screw it up the second or third time you do it. Mm -hmm. I agree. And Good. I believe this is the last listener question. Okay. This is. Why perfect. are we laughing? I haven't even because, read it yet. 
This is for all of the Fuller family grandkids. Why can I never get Nana's recipes to be like I remember when I make them? Impossible. I've, I've, Beth and I have tried this too. And you guys know, we all know that it's the love. Nana, Nana, Nana writes these recipes and passes them on. She doesn't follow the recipes just because she has all that stuff in her head. And this is what we just talked about. You can't duplicate no. <laughs> stuff uh -huh. that's passed down from generation to generation. It's all about feel. It's all about love. It's all about, even with her, I mean, it was, it was all about, you know, the temperature of what was going on in the kitchen or who, who was swimming in the pool. She, you know, she'd make mac and cheese and put colored noodles in them just for fun so that we would get surprises. Like it's, it's, if it was her recipe, she knows how it is every single time. And she's going to make sure it's done that way. And let's face it. She wants it to herself, so she's going to leave out one small thing. So oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, and also, uh, ingredients change over time. So, like, what but Nana was using then is different than what you use now. It's the same thing why when people try to recreate recipes at home, the what they don't realize, a lot of commercial kitchens use, like, products from Cisco and big mm -hmm. places that taste different than the products yeah. you're getting from the grocery store. So it's just things taste slightly different, but it's an analog. It's your parents. When your mom makes you something, it's your mom's love that goes into it. Right. It's just the way, just the way it is. So what are you excited about making it work right now? Uh, well, it's fall. So lots of braises, lots of uh, roasted vegetables. I'm, I'm really excited for squashes and, uh, and yeah, the braised stuff in stews and, mm -hmm. That's what I'm really excited for. I, I mean, those things I feel are, are, are so fun to do and they make the kitchen smell so great because they cook for so long and um, just the comfort food stuff is what I'm looking forward to this fall. Yeah, yeah you love fall and winter. Um, yeah. Okay, now do you want to promote yourself? How can people find you? How can okay. they get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, let's go on at foodadventure.com. Now there's no let's go on foodadventure.com. Elizabeth R. Fuller.com. At Gmail. No, <laughs> I, I, no, I don't like when people follow me. You can get followed <laughs> on Instagram. It's Todd C. Yeah, Fuller. Instagram at Todd C. Fuller. And LinkedIn. You're on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I think it's the same. Yeah. Um, all right. Any other any questions you have for me specifically? You can yeah message him. Yeah. Last question. Okay. If COVID wasn't a thing, which is kind mm -hmm. of not anymore, mm -hmm. and we had all the money in the world, where are you going and what are you eating? Um. Well, you probably aren't going to expect this, but it's kind of funny because over the <laughs> over the few years that we've been married or even known each other what is it eight years nine years eight <laughs> years yeah um we we're constantly going on food adventures right yeah oh I that's, that's how we got the name of this right yeah. oh i oh there you know there's this restaurant we should check out or we should go here or somebody told us they went to costa rica and found this and whatever well <clears throat> what's funny is that <clears throat> indian style food i was never really into right no. And then we found this Indian place near us, Indian restaurant near us. And we've been getting it quite. Yeah, I love Indian food. Yeah, a yeah. lot. So I think I would like to go to India. I would like to go 
see the culture, see the food, um, just something different. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I've, like I said, I was a travel agent. I've, I've traveled Europe extensively. Um, I would love to go back to Austria. I've been to all 50 states, um, Canada, Mexico, Costa Rica, Central America. So um, we have to go to South America. Right. I've so, been, but you haven't been yet. Yeah, no. So I, I think India would be, and, and it's funny because, you know, let's face it, I've listened to 90%, 98% of these podcasts, let's say. And you said it the last one, people all want to go to Japan. They all want to- Japan, uh, Europe, yeah, Italy's Europe, huge. Italy, everybody wants yeah. to go to Italy. Um, and I think that's one off the beaten track that not a lot of people talk about, but I'm- the no, culture. food's I mean, so even, good. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's very intriguing to me. Very exciting. Okay. Do I think I will get there now, right now? No, but mm. I, I would like to eventually. Someday. Get there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you, honey. I love that's you. It? That's it. We're done. That's it. What? Yeah. Oh, is there anything else that we need to pass on to the listeners or? No, I think that's it. No, no we're going to go celebrate your birthday now. Okay. Okay. Love you, Hedda. Okay, love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and just like that, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I love you. And it was so much fun to pick your brain and interview you. I'm going to link all of Todd's information in case you have more questions for him in the show notes, as well as all of the information he gave during the podcast, because there was a lot of juicy tidbits. So go to my website for all of that, elizabethrfuller.com. If you have any questions for the podcast, shoot me an email, let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. You guys have a wonderful weekend. Make some yummy food together, lead with kindness, and I'll see you next week. Bye.